John chapter 15, verses 1 to 11. So it's the book of John chapter 15, verses 1 to 11. This is God's word. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you're clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, God, we give thanks for this gathering here this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word and the power that it has. Father, that it is living and active. And I pray now by the power of your spirit, God, that you would just descend on this building. Father, we thank you that through Jesus, Lord, that we can learn how we are to to live and and as today we read to abide in you because apart from you god we can do nothing god we thank you that you've given us the gift of the spirit that enables us to go and be your disciples i just pray for david now as he comes to speak to us lord father that you would just anoint him with your spirit that lord just as you have been the mouthpiece to so many others lord would you be his mouthpiece today Father, we just pray, and, and Lord, you, you call us to pray for our leaders and for the welfare of the land that we live in. And Father, we just pray for reconciliation in our government, that, Father, that you would set aside differences and unite our leaders so that, Father, the welfare of the land that we live in can be improved. And God, we just thank you for the leaders of our congregation here, of our church family, I pray that you would strengthen them. And and Father, in light of the upcoming deacon election, Father, I pray that you would reveal to us those men and women who you would have serve and Lord, to, to relieve the burden of the elders. So God, I pray that we as your people just would be obedient in prayer and seeking the names of those that you would have elected into that position. And Father, we just too pray for um, the building and all the, the plans that are in place for that. And Lord, that we, you would just bless that and allow it to go ahead so that we as your church family can open our doors to more people in this town and serve them in such a way that Lord, that they can get a real tangible sense of who Jesus is through the love that we have for him that overpours into our love for them. So yes, Father, just be here this morning in our kids' spaces with their leaders and especially with David too. And we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hope everybody is well this morning. Um, I confess I don't do this very often. Um, I do it once in a blue moon, and every time I do it, I get incredibly nervous. And I'm nervous this morning, but I'm also really excited. I'm really grateful for the opportunity to come this morning to speak from John 15, a really well-known passage. And we are back in the book of John. Again, we have, we've been out of John for quite a long time for various reasons. 
Um, but we're back there. Now, what I'm not going to do this morning is do a 14-chapter overview of the first 14 chapters of John. I don't think you want me to do that. I don't have time to do that. We've loads to do. But what I do want to do this morning is just wind us back a couple of chapters just as we start this morning to a portion of Scripture in John chapter 13. In John chapter 13, Jesus is washing the disciples' feet, and He's teaching them about what it is to be a servant. But things take a turn in verse 21 of chapter 13, and Jesus says this, after saying these things which is teaching about service, Jesus was troubled in His spirit, and He testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray Me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom He spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at a table close to Jesus. So Simon Peter motioned to ask him and asked Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. And Jesus said to him, what you're going to do, do quickly. And it records towards the end of this chapter that Judas took the morsel of bread and he disappeared. He exited stage left. And that's going to be important for us as we come to, to look at what Jesus wants to teach us in John chapter 15. But I thank Steph for reading that this morning. John chapter 15 is a really popular chapter in the Bible. I'm sure maybe even when Steph was reading that, you know, it was maybe quite familiar to you about the vine and the branches and the fruit. It's, it's a really popular teaching of Jesus. Now, I don't know whether you are a gardener this morning. No. Very affirmative no from Carol and up here. I don't know whether you're a gardener. I don't know whether you're a good gardener, whether you're a bad gardener, whether you're just apathetic about gardening, don't care about it. Um, I'm not a particularly good gardener, but I love grass. I love cutting the grass in the summer. Love always have aspirations of sort of having that Wimbledon tennis turf in the garden. Never happens. Hasn't happened yet. But I'm not, I'm not a particularly good gardener. I planted a hedge last year and trimmed it down. I'm looking forward to seeing it grow and hopefully grow into a good hedge. Um, Kirsty is interested in sort of the prettier parts of gardening, bulbs flowers, all the sort of colorful things. But again, she doesn't really know what she's doing either. It was just this year she decided she wanted to learn about that. So at Christmas, she ordered herself like a 15, 20-pound book off Amazon, told me, by the way, David, this is your Christmas present to me, which really helped me out um, because I was struggling. Um, it was basically an A to Z of how to garden. Tells you when you plant things, when you can expect them to grow. Basically, a dummy's guide to gardening. And she's doing all that at the minute, and we'll see evidence of that over the next few months about whether we actually know what we're doing. Um, open, it's an open jury at the minute, but we're not particularly good gardeners. But in John chapter 15, God is going to come and show us how a perfect gardener operates, how somebody who knows what they're doing operates, how He grows good fruit in us, and the part that we have to play if we are going to grow good fruit in our lives. So, John 15, let's get into it. Jesus makes a statement at the very start of John chapter 15, but it's not the first statement that Jesus has made in the book of John. Already in chapter 8, Jesus has said that He's the light of the world. Into a world full of darkness, Jesus has entered and is an illuminating light. Jesus has said in John chapter 10 that He's a good shepherd, that He leaves the 99 and He goes after the one who's trying to scurry away and get away and bring them back into the fold. Jesus also says that He's the door in John chapter 10. Through Him, we must enter if we want to come into the kingdom of God. Chapter 11, He's the resurrection and the life. Jesus saying that in Jesus, in Christ, death does not have the final word. Chapter 14, He's the way, the truth, and the life. Very familiar saying of Jesus that He is the way back to the Father. That in a world full of everybody's own truth and everybody's truth matters, that He is true truth and that He is the way. He is life. And in fact, it says in John 10, 10, that the thief, the enemy comes to steal and destroy, but Jesus comes that we may have life and life to the full. Jesus has made a number of claims about Himself up to this point in John. And he makes another one here in John 15 where he says, I am the true vine. 
and the true vine. Now, we know what comes later. We know that Jesus is talking about a vine and branches and fruit, and we know all that. But at this point, when Jesus just makes a statement, I'm a true vine, and if He hadn't said anything more, we'd probably be a wee bit confused. We'd be wondering, you know, what do you mean? I mean, a door, a light, some of the other phrases Jesus has said are quite self-explanatory, but when Jesus says that He's a true vine, it's not immediately obvious what He means. But Jesus was talking to His remaining disciples, all of these Jewish guys, and what He was doing was harking back to the start of the Old Testament to a promise made to Abraham that Abraham was going to be a father of a nation, and through that nation, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And He made Abraham the father of this nation, Israel. Israel was God's chosen people, and they were going to be His people. He was going to be their God. And he was going to demonstrate who he was to them, pour himself out to them, show them mercy and grace and provision. And in return, what he wanted from Israel was worship. His expectation was that they would see how good he was to them, that they would worship, they would be a blessing to the nations. And we see this as we wind back into the Old Testament to Isaiah 5. I'm just going to read some verses from there to see God's expectation and His desire for Israel. Isaiah chapter 5, starting at verse 1, it says, Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. So already we see a vine in Isaiah chapter 5. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. God looked for Israel to yield good fruit but it yielded bad fruit. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And I'll tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down." I will make it a waste that shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. The men of Judah are His pleasant planting, and He looked for justice, and behold, bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. God's desire for Israel was that they would return his his investment in them with worship to him, but they didn't do that. And the Old Testament is a narrative, largely, of Israel's disobedience, God's goodness to Israel, and Israel continuing to walk in disobedience. And God did remove the hedge of protection. He did allow desolation to take in on Israel. And at the end of the Old Testament, Israel is, by and large, almost completely gone. It's almost completely disappeared, and certainly the promise made to Abraham that they were going to be a blessing to all the nations certainly doesn't look as if it's going to happen. And yet, through the broken, disobedient line of Israel comes the one who is speaking these words in John chapter 15. Jesus didn't come from some clean, sanitized lineage. He came through a broken, desolate people, and He comes and He says, I am the true vine. I'm the true Israel. I'm the one who was completely obedient to my Father. I'm the one who completely submitted my will to the Father. I'm the one who has come to show you exactly who the Father is. And what's more, Jesus is also saying, I am the one who is the blessing that will be poured out on the nations. See, Jesus is on the way to the cross. He's on the way to the cross to give His innocent life for the life of people like you and me, sinful people, And through His death and His resurrection, He is inviting people from every nation back into the fold of God. And we see in Revelation this beautiful picture around the throne of God, our people represented from every tribe, tongue, and nation. The promise of God given to Abraham has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the true vine. That's what He said to the disciples. The king you're waiting for, the person you're looking for, is me. I'm the true vine. I'm the promise of God. I'm salvation that has come to you. I am the blessing of God. And just thinking back a couple of weeks to when Andrew Elder was here, do you remember Simeon? When Simeon saw Christ and, and he rejoiced, he said, I can die happy now because I've seen the Christ. I've seen the one who was coming. Jesus saying to his disciples, I am the blessing that was promised to Abraham. 
Folks, that's good news for us this morning. Do you know that if you're in Christ this morning, if you're in this room and you're in Christ, you are the recipient of the blessing that was promised to Abraham back in the Old Testament? You have that, and you have that in the person of Jesus Christ this morning. And what's more, Jesus goes beyond that. He says, I'm the true vine, but what's more, my father is the vine dresser. Other translations say the gardener. You see, you and I, as we read this passage of Scripture, we see ourselves, if we're in Christ and we're fruitful branches, we see ourselves connected to Christ. We see that that's where we are. And therefore, as Christ, and as God the Father tends to Christ, He tends to you and me as well. He's in control of our lives. What you and I, as believers in Christ, do not need this morning is somebody who's in control of your life, who's merely winging it, who doesn't know what they're doing, who's somebody who's just sort of saying, you know what, we'll give this a go and see if it works. We don't need some. We do not need somebody running our lives this morning who's basically having to send away to Amazon for a 15 or 20 pound book to find out how to do it. We don't need that. And folks, we don't have that this morning. The good Father that is in charge of our lives is also a perfect gardener. He knows what He's doing. He can see the end from the beginning when we can't see an inch in front of our nose. He knows the process that it takes in our lives to grow fruit when we haven't a clue. He knows what He's doing. He knows the environment that it's going to take for you and me, and that might be different for all of us, to grow good fruit in our lives. And He's got every tool in His toolkit to make it happen. And I'll add to that, that He has loads of experience of doing it perfectly in the past. Sometimes, folks, it's only after we go through the trial that we actually see that God was in it. How many times have we seen God be completely faithful in the past? We have a Savior in Jesus Christ. He's a true vine. And we have a perfect Father who happens to be in control of our lives and is a perfect gardener who knows what is best for us this morning. As we get to verse 2, Jesus presents to us both a warning and an encouragement this morning. And He says this, he says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. That's the warning. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch in me that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now, we can be tempted as we come to this verse 2 in chapter 15 to think, well, you know, these bad branches that get cut off, the unfruitful branches, that's if Jesus is talking about Christians here and people that are connected to Him, well, that surely just means the sinful stuff in us that He just wants to cut off. It's, I mean, it's a reasonable assumption to make to think that that's what Jesus is saying, but that's not what Jesus is saying here. And that's why I wanted to read at the start of this a little portion of Scripture from John chapter 13 where it talks about Judas. You see, Judas was in the thick of it. Judas spent three years of his life in the presence of Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He was connected to Jesus. You know, he was one of Jesus' office bearers. He was one of the, he was one of the guys. He was in the end crew. He saw the miracles that Jesus did. You know, a few loaves and a few fish, feeding thousands of people and having loads left over at the end. He, he saw that stuff. He saw Jesus praying. He saw Jesus praying in private. He, he received all the teachings that Jesus gave here. He was there live seeing Jesus preach these things. He also heard Jesus teach them things in private that aren't recorded for us. He saw all of this. He served with Jesus for three years. And what's more, he saw Jesus live his life in front of Judas for three years and never sin. Can you imagine what it's like to watch somebody intently for three years and never see a bad attitude in them? Never see them slip up. Never see them, you know, grumble about somebody, gossip about somebody, say anything about anybody, sin. You know, just he, he saw him live perfectly. If you watch me for an hour, you could probably come with a list of things and say, David, some things I see in you, I don't think they're particularly good. But for Jesus, Judas saw 
a perfect life lived in front of him. And yet, at the end of it, when it came down to it, and the choice for Judas was, are you going to go with Jesus or are you going to take the cash? When the choice was presented to Judas, he says, I'm taking the money. Three years spent in the middle of it. And in fact, John chapter 13 records that whenever Jesus said that somebody was going to betray him, it wasn't like the rest of the disciples said, all looked at Judas and say, well, I bet it's him. It records that they wondered who it was. They didn't know it was Judas. It wasn't immediately obvious. But he revealed in the end that he didn't love Jesus. He loved something far more than Jesus. He didn't love Jesus. And folks, this is the warning that Jesus is presenting at the start of verse, chapter, or verse 2, is that you and I were so blessed to have lived in the land that we live in. We grew up with churches on every corner, listened to the gospel, heard the gospel, often probably were born with Bibles in our homes, opportunities to learn about Jesus, opportunities to be involved in ministries. Even now, we might be a people who are in every prayer ministry, every Bible study, every men's ministry, women's ministry. We could be members of this church. We could be office bearers in this church, ministry leaders in this church. We could be a preacher at the front of this church. And yet, in the middle of all of that, in the middle of all of that activity and all of that religious activity, the warning today is that we can do all of that and not have a love for Jesus. We can be a fruitless branch, somebody who is not bearing gospel fruit because we don't love Jesus. We've got caught up in a lot of other things, but we don't love Jesus. And that's a warning this morning. And it's it's an opportunity this morning to do what 2 Corinthians 13 says, which is examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith this morning. Because the people who are in the faith are a people who abide in Christ. And we see lots of abiding language in John chapter 15. Let me just read a few verses and then we need to just ask ourselves a few questions as we examine ourselves this morning, as the Bible asks us to do. Starting at verse 4, it says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown in the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. So this morning, I just want to take a, a little bit of time just to ask ourselves to examine ourselves in light of what Jesus is saying here in John chapter 15 about abiding. And I've just set out a few questions and a few remarks on what an abiding people look like from John 15. People who abide in Christ are a people who are in His Word. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. A people who abide in Christ are a people who out of their love for Christ want to be in the Word. They want to know who Christ is. They desire to know Him deeper. They desire to know the things that He loves. They desire to know the things that He doesn't love so that they can put those things to death in their life. They desire to know the depravity of what Christ has saved them out of, they desire to know the glory of Christ in the Scriptures, and it drives them to the Bible. The people of God, those who abide in Christ, are a people who abide in the Word. Question, folks, as we examine ourselves this morning, are we a people who are in the Word this morning? Are we a people who love Jesus and it drives us towards the Word so we know Him better? Or are we a people who the only time we open our Bible is when we come in here on a Sunday. We need to examine ourselves. Are we a people who are abiding in Christ through the Word? 
Number two, people who abide in Christ are people who abide in Christ through prayer. We see it um, in that seventh verse as well. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. God, if we're abiding in Christ, we, when we're in relationship with somebody, we communicate with them. We talk to them. Are we in a, in a, in a posture of prayer with God? Are we a people of prayer? Are we a people who are, because of our love for Jesus, wanting to, to just talk to Him, to give thanks for Him in gratitude? Are we people who go to Him and share our burdens with Him? Are we a people who, understanding our sin, are in a posture of confession and repentance? Are we a people who, are, as Paul has said, pray without ceasing? Not asking us if we're, you know, those people that pray for two hours in the morning or two hours in the evening. Are we a people who are in communion with God through prayer? Are we a people who invite God into our lives and into our meetings at work, into our home life when we're looking after the kids, into all of those situations say, God, I just want you to be a part of this, and I want you to teach me something through this. The people of God who abide are those who abide through His Word and abide with Him in prayer. Third thing we see here is the people of God, those who abide, are a people who bear much fruit and in doing so, prove to be His disciples. And in, in asking this, you might ask, what sort of fruit are we talking about? And the, the answer to that is, is those found in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. Uh, it's the fruits of the Spirit, those things that are common to all of those who are in Christ and walking in Christ with the Holy Spirit working inside of them. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is, listen to this list, joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Are we a people who are growing in increasing fruitfulness in those areas? As we examine our lives, have we become increasingly fruitful in those areas in the last year? Have we become increasingly fruitful in those areas in the last six months? I'm asking myself the same questions. Or have we stalled? Or are we not being fruitful at all? Because th there is a warning again here is that it's, it's the fruit that we bear that is the proof that we are His disciples. Are we bearing fruit? Are we a fruit-bearing people and therefore proving to be His disciples? Do people around us, Christian and non-Christian, know that we are Christians by the words that we say, but by a life that adds up and is congruent with the words that we say? Are we a fruit-bearing people? Number four, are we a people who take the warnings of Jesus seriously? Are we a people who hear that every branch in me that does not bear fruit He takes away in verse 2? Are we a people that hear that and examine ourselves? Are we a people who hear verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned? Are we a people who listen to that, hear that, examine ourselves to see that we're in the faith? And also grieve then for those who are prepared for the fire. We might look at that and say, I'm in Christ, and I'm content that I'm in Christ, but we, we should also grieve for those who we know are not in Christ because we know their end. Are we a person that hears those warnings from Jesus and just has a blasé attitude to them and just says, well, it's not me, so I don't really care? Are we a people who take the warnings of Jesus seriously this morning? And finally, Fifthly, there's probably a load more of these, but just these are the ones I've pulled out. In verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. Are we a people who are radically committed to obedience to Christ, no matter what the cost to us, and we refuse to compromise on the teachings of Jesus? Folks, are we a people who are radically committed to the teachings of Jesus in such a way that even if it costs us personally, we will not deviate from them because our love for Christ trumps our own comfort. 
The people who abide in Christ are people who love His Word and are in His Word to know Christ more, who are in communion with God in prayer, who are people who take the warnings of Jesus seriously, who are people who are bearing more and more fruit and therefore bearing, proving to be His disciples, and there are people who are committed to obedience at whatever cost. And we have to ask ourselves this morning to examine ourselves. It would be wrong for me to come up here with the warning that Jesus gives in verse 2 and not ask ourselves to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. Because the warning is that those of us who, who aren't in the faith will be cut off, will be prepared for the fire. And I don't want that this morning. So, I ask this morning that we will examine ourselves as we ask ourselves those questions. But listen, maybe as I went through that list, your faces aren't saying it, but maybe as I went through that list, you said, you know what? I am a person who loves the Word. I love Jesus, and I love being in the Word, and I love reading about Jesus, and I love learning more about Him. You know, you might be a baby Christian as well. It might be, everything might be brand new to you. But you're learning about Jesus. You love what you read there. You want to know what He wants. And, you know, you're just on fire for that. You love the Word of God. You're, you're in com communion with God through prayer. You just love talking to God. You love bringing your burdens to Him. You love you just sharing things with Him, just even menial things, just telling God about your day. You just love bringing Him into everything. You're somebody who, who, who heeds those warnings of Scripture and, and grieves for those lost friends and family members, those who are outside of Christ at the minute, and, and it just leads you to, 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 to pray for them more and just to, to grieve over the fact that, that they're not saved at the minute. You might be encouraged by the fruit that you're actually growing in your life, and you, you might evidently see fruit growing in your life, and you might have other people come and encourage you recently and say, you know what, I've seen this in your life, and it's brilliant, and I think God's working in your life, and you might be really encouraged by that, and therefore proving you're a disciple. And you might be a person who is radically committed and doing everything you can, trusting the Holy Spirit to walk in obedience to His Word. And if you are, God has an encouragement for you that not only is He happy that you're doing that, but He doesn't want you to stay there. He's delighted in you. He delights in you. But it says in the second half of verse 2 that every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it bears more fruit. His desire for you is not to stay where you are, but rather His desire for you is to bear more and more fruit. But He'll do that through the process of pruning. Now, pruning, the very fact that it involves snipping and cutting off, is not a particularly… feels, feels like it's going to hurt, if I'm quite honest. Um, and often it will. And by all means, we talked earlier about the fact that, that God wants to, to deal with our sin. God absolutely wants to deal with our sin. One of the things that God will be pruning is the sinfulness in our lives. There are things in our lives as Christians that aren't right. We still sin as Christians. In the third verse of John chapter uh, 15, Jesus says, you are clean. He tells his disciples, you are clean. In other words, he's saying, I know where your heart's at. I know you're going to be there at the end. I know that you guys are saved and you guys are legit. But he also knows at that moment that Peter's going to deny him three times. He knows that the disciples are going to sin. He knows you and I are going to sin, but that's not his desire for us. His desire for us is that we'll be holy as he is holy. So he wants to deal with our sins, but that will be difficult. And even as I mention that, he wants to deal with our sin. Maybe for some of us, there are things in our lives that we just know about, we're aware of, things that we've maybe had in our lives for years that we would like to have dealt with, but haven't, and they just rise to the surface whenever we talk about sins in our lives. There may be things in our lives that just, we just know they just need to be dealt with. And folks, for, for some in here, those could be addictions. And I know whenever we talk about addictions, everybody instantly goes to things like pornography. Pornography could be something in your life that you need to deal with by all means. But addictions come in many different ways. You could be addicted to money this morning. You could be addicted to entertainment. We can be addicted to just being lazy and getting through life. We could be addicted to escapism and just escaping from the realities of this world. And, and God wants to, to deal with our sin 
But that's going to involve some things that hurt. It's going to involve certainly confession to God, but also maybe confession to others about things that we have done. It's going to involve repentance to God, saying, sorry, I shouldn't have done that. I don't want to do that again. But also might involve repentance to others who have been hurt along the way and caught somewhere in the middle of this. And it might involve you with some of the things that are going on in your life, having to ask for help from somebody else. And that's going to hurt. Because what does that hurt? It hurts our pride that we have to ask, we have to share that we're struggling with something in order to get through it. That pruning of our sin will be difficult. But why does God call us to do it? Because He calls it because ultimately in verse 11, He says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be full and that your joy may be full. His intent for us is to walk in joy by pruning us, by dealing with us. We can walk in joy. But I think sometimes for some of us, there's things in our lives that we just think, if I can just deal with that, that sort of big thing that's in my life, I think I'd be doing okay. But I think there's a mentality that I want to deal with this morning and just call us out of this morning. And I felt God has been preaching this to me over the last couple of weeks as I've been preparing. Whenever I look at the lists of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, I think sometimes for us what we can do is we can tell ourselves or listen to the lies of the enemy and just say things like this, well, you know what? I'm just not a very joyful person. Just not a very joyful person. I'm just not a very peaceful person. You know, anxiety is just a part of our family. My dad was anxious. My mom was anxious. My brother's anxious. It just runs in the DNA. We're just an anxious people. Patience, never been patient in my life. Don't think I'll ever be patient. Patience for somebody else. There's other people who are patient. If you're looking patience, go and find somebody else. Not for me. Self-control, anger. Anger has just been a some low-grade anger just running in our family for generations. I don't know what it is, but whenever anybody goads us, we just let them know what we think about them. It's just who we are. And sometimes we can even bring God in on that and say, it's just who God made me. Do you ever do that? Just who God made me. It is not who God made you, and it's not who God made me. See, you and I were born with a natural bent to walk in rebellion against God. We weren't born with a natural bent to be loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, or self-controlled. In fact, we, the natural bent of our life is to be quite the opposite. But folks, listen, for those of us who are in Christ, God has removed the ceiling for us to say, that's as good as it gets for me. He's called you and I to be increasing in fruit in these areas. So, no longer can we say, well, I'm just an impatient person. What we say is, the old man, the one prior to Christ, was an impatient person, but now in Christ, I'm a new man. You're a new woman, and I have been given through the Holy Spirit the power to walk in patience. Folks, we have got to raise the bar because Christ has raised the bar, but He's raised the bar in such a way that He's also given the provision through the Holy Spirit that we can actually live it out. But we have to stop listening to the enemy that says, this is just who I am. It's not who you are. It's who the enemy's telling you you are. It's who the enemy is lying to you and telling you you are. It's not who you are in Christ. Christ has called you to bear abundant fruit, and He's given you the Holy Spirit to do that. Folks, I understand that this fruit-bearing that God calls us to doesn't happen in a vacuum. We live in the same broken, fragile, cursed world. We all do. We'll all go into our work tomorrow. We'll go and we'll be looking after kids tomorrow. We'll be doing whatever tomorrow, and it's going to be hard. We live in a dark and cursed world. It's not getting any better. 
but this is the world that God has called us to and called us to bear fruit. And as we leave here, which is a safe place, into a difficult world, there's a few things we need to know if we're going to be people who bear fruit, and a few encouragements that Christ wants to give to us, and we see these in John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verse 3, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. If you are in Christ this morning, if you are trusting in Christ, then you are clean. He has made you clean. What He has done at Calvary causes God to look at you not as dirty and filthy, which the enemy sometimes tells us that we are, but instead He looks at you and sees Christ. You are clean in the sight of God. Verse number, verse number nine, yes, nine, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Jesus loves you as you go into a broken world this week. He's cleansed you. He's loved you. Verse number 14, what else does He have to say? He says that you are my friends if you do what I command you. He's cleansed you. He loves you. He's your friend, and He doesn't do it because somebody's tied His arm behind His back, because in verse 16 He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. You are called in this dark, dark, difficult world to go and bear fruit, and you can do that as you go into this world, knowing that Christ has chosen you, He loves you, He's your friend, and He's clean, and therefore He has not abandoned you, but rather He is there to help you. He's there to help you. And we don't do this in a vacuum. God is so good that He uses the brokenness of the world to grow fruit in us. How else are you and I going to grow in patience until God puts somebody who really annoys us right in front of our nose? How are you and I going to grow in self-control until there's somebody really winding us up? And rather than thumping them, we say, I think God's put me here. I think God's put me here, and He's chosen me to bear good fruit, even in the world as dark as it is. He loves me. He's my friend. I'm cleansed. You know what? I'm not going to thump Him. I'm just going to have a conversation. I'm going to ask, you know, why, why are you trying to wind me up? You know, let's take the heat out of this. Let's, let's walk and grow in this fruit. And there can be things like that that happen, you know, just silly things that God puts us in situations and they kind of seem menial and they kind of say, okay, it's an opportunity to grow. But folks, listen, we live in such a broken world that there are no guarantees when we go out of here, no guarantees that over the next week that your phone or my phone will not ring and that that phone call and what's the other side of that phone call will not plunge us into the greatest darkness that we've ever been in. There's no guarantee that you and I will not get news this week that there's been a bad diagnosis, that there's been somebody in our life that didn't make it, that something's gone wrong, and it plunges us into the darkest night of the soul. There's no guarantee of that because we live in a broken world. And yet, even there, being reminded that God loves us, that He's chosen us, that He's our friend, that He's washed us clean, that He's with us, that He hasn't abandoned us. We can trust the good gardener, the one who sees the end from the beginning, the one who knows what He's doing. When we can't see any light at all, we can trust that even then He is going to bear in us good fruit, even in the darkest moments of our life. He will use everything he will use everything. And we can see, folks, even in this congregation, we've seen people who have been through the darkest time in their life, and we can see fruit come on the far side because God does His work. God does His work. Folks, I know some of what I've said maybe this morning has been heavy. Examining ourselves to see if we're in the faith, that's a difficult thing to do. As we've examined ourselves, maybe you have come to the conclusion, you know what, there's some of those areas I feel uncomfortable that I'm, I'm just not doing. Please come and talk to me, talk to the elders after the service about that. If you're feeling convicted about that, that's probably a good sign that, that the work of God is continuing in your life, that He's convicting you of those things. 
And if you're in Christ this morning, be encouraged. God wants to deal with your sin. It's going to be painful. It's going to hurt. This pruning process is difficult. But God has called us to a higher standard, and He has given us everything that we need to make that fruit grow no matter the circumstances and no matter how difficult they are. But just as we finish this morning, I am going to finish, um, I just want to level the ground this morning um, because we are talking about plants and we're talking about branches and we're talking about fruit, and there is a concept that we need to talk about this morning as we come to communion, as we come to the end of this. See, there's this thing in horticulture called grafting. Now, I don't know whether anybody knows what grafting is. I didn't really know what grafting was until about three months ago. Um, but grafting is a process where you, you take like a branch off like a, a plant over here, and you take a plant here, and so long as they're of the same kind, you know, a rose plant and a rose, a, a rose uh, branch, what you can do is you can make a cut in the plant, and you can actually graft the, 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 the branch into the plant. And in time, what happens is it takes to that plant and becomes a fully-fledged part of that plant. It starts to, to take the sustenance from that plant. And that's a picture of what has happened to us in Christ. You see, we can see ourselves represented by these fruitful branches if we're in Christ this morning. But we have to know something, that we were not born into this world connected to the vine. We weren't. We were born in sin and in iniquity, and what it took was for Christ to take us, being prepared for the fire, sticks prepared for the fire, for Him to regenerate us by the Spirit, change us, change us from enemies of God into friends of God, into sons of God, daughters of God, into those who were made to be like Christ. And once we were made into those who were made to be like Christ, what He did was He cut into the vine that is Christ, and He placed, grafted you and I into Christ. And that's a picture of what He did at Calvary. It's a picture of what He did at the cross where Jesus' wounds, Jesus' flesh torn apart, His blood poured out, and it is through His wounds through His blood, that we are grafted into the family of God. We're grafted in. We weren't born there. We're grafted in. And now we have access to all that God is and all that God wants to give us as He pours into us as fruitful branches attached to Christ. Folks, that's good news this morning. That's good news for all of you who are in here and are in Christ, that that's what happened to you. You were prepared for the fire once, but Christ has changed you and brought you in. Hallelujah. And if you're not in Christ this morning, if you've examined yourself this morning, and you're feeling uncomfortable this morning, the opportunity this morning is for you to be grafted in. The opportunity is this morning there for you to confess that you have not been walking in obedience to Christ, have not been in love with Christ, not been giving up your life for Christ, but instead you turn to Christ and say, I haven't done that, but I want to do that. I'm sorry. I want you to change me and transform me and make me into someone who is fruitful. Will you do that? And He will. He'll meet you. He'll take you. He'll graft you into Christ, and He will make you someone who bears good fruit. That is open to you this morning. Why? Because the true vine and the blessing that is Jesus Christ is available in this room this morning. And therefore, all of us have an opportunity to come and experience the nourishment that comes from Christ this morning. Folks, in a couple of weeks' time, we will come to consider what it is for the people of God and Cornerstone to truly love one another. For the people in Cornerstone who are bearing a multitude of fruit to love one another. And also what it is for us who are bearing good fruit to live in a world that hates us and is growing increasingly hostile to us. But for this morning, I just want us to examine ourselves. Are we in the faith? Have you been encouraged this morning by the growth in your life as you started to examine yourself and actually say, you know what, there's been lots of stuff going on. Encourage, be encouraged this morning that Christ wants to do more and more and more.
as we confess our sins, repent of them, and just ask God into every single situation and understanding that He is in it with us. He has not abandoned us. He loves you. He's chosen you. He's your friend, and you are clean in Christ. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for the Thank you for how it pierces us, Lord. I thank you for how it has pierced me over the last couple of weeks to consider um, whether I am truly abiding in Christ, Lord. Lord, I thank you that the work of growing fruit in our lives is not a, a work that we do ourselves, Lord. It is a work that you do in us as you transform us and work through your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray this morning for those who have examined themselves and and are feeling uncomfortable, Lord. I pray that they will talk to somebody after, Lord. I pray that they will come to know You through confession, repentance, transformed, and know the beauty of Jesus Christ, the true vine. Lord, I pray for those in here who have stalled. They're in You, but for one reason or another, maybe the fruit has dried up a little. Lord, will You in them cause an increase in that fruit, Lord. May this be a wake-up call to them to press into you. And Lord, ultimately I pray that all of the fruit that has grown in the people in front of me and in my own life, Lord, will be glorifying to you, Jesus. We know that you do it, that your joy may be full and that our joy may be full in you. Lord, as we come to communion, will you cause us to further examine ourselves? Lord, as we come to, to drink of um, the juice that we have and, and, and take the bread which represents your body, Lord, that we will be a people who truly understand what we're doing. Lord, we'll confess our sins, or we'll repent of those things that we know of that we need to repent of. Lord, that we will not do this in a blasé manner, but we will in what we do in the next few minutes and as we praise you, that we will glorify you because you are worth it. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.